And welcome to another episode of Dum 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 Thirsty Thursday. My name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the Grass Factor Martin. And I've got my two lovely cohorts next to me, Mr. Ryan DeMay. And Ray Ito's doing a little computer update, so he'll be here shortly. And uh, and hey, what the hell? Let's go ahead and get our guest of honor on as well. Throw him up on the screen there. Jay Pink, we got Patrick Valancourt all the way up in Canada, bud. Uh, not really Canada, <laughs> but as up. close as you could possibly get. Uh, I, I told you I was going to do it. I told you to make <laughs> Do y'all go yep. out for a rip up there? Like, is is that is that a or is that more like a Manitoba thing? <laughs> you mean, do we go to Canada on a regular basis? Uh, I, I I don't know. I heard it in a song on YouTube, and it was like, "Are you going out for a rip, bud?" Something like that, and uh, it's like, <laughs> yeah, there there could be multiple meanings to that. Some of which I'm sure are partaken in at one point or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, from how I understood it, it was like, uh, are we gonna, are we gonna go out for a cold beer? And, uh, but I may have misinterpreted as well too, because, well, I'm, I'm kind of not Canadian, but, uh, you know, close enough. Which is actually pretty interesting though, because I do have a friend from, uh, that the, you know, the, the, the redneck area of Canada. You probably know him. Do you know Canada Rod at uh, uh, New Farm? Oh, yeah, Rod. Rod yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, Canada Rod, I, that's my lovely nickname for him is Canada Rod. But, you know, he is uh, he is very, like, re- real deal redneck Canadian, right? And uh, he knows he knows all about that shit. So. I actually met Who him in person Canadian? for the first time in Florida there back oh. in December. Oh, Yeah, he's a great guy. He really is. He's a great guy. Who yeah. else is? Canadian? I was going to say you know. Well, it's one. It's somebody else you know. Doctor Greg Munchau. Hey, oh, that's right. I forgot. He is. He is. Yeah. I'd say. I, I, listen, that's as probably how we got off on the wrong foot. There was that. You know, I I wasn't. Canadians are so polite, Sensitive. right? And and, uh, and just kind in general. And I'm a little rough around the edges. Like some people, when they when they use sandpaper, you know, they they progressively use finer grit to leave a smooth finish. I was not <laughs> ground down that way. Um, somebody somebody used a wheel on me, and uh, and they used uh, a steel grinding wheel, and just left me ground to holy hell and built rough around the edges. So it's okay. I think you're. Okay. Uh, I t- I think of you more like. Uh... An ice sculpture where they just use like an ice pick and maybe a chainsaw or something chainsaw. like that. That's, <laughs> that's, that's 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 where they stop. They you know, they're really they're really rough. Maybe like a swan. Yeah, I could see you being like an ice sculpture swan. You identify as an ice swan, Matt? Uh, twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Okay. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, we digress. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go ahead and uh, and kick this bad boy off here, Patrick. Tell us about yourself. What do you do? Where do you, well, we know where you come from. What do you do? <laughs> so I'm a pro applicator, I guess you could call it. Uh, Northern Turf Management. Yeah, that's me. <clears throat> so this coming up season is going to be the 10th year, I guess, technically in business. Uh, I started out doing it when I was in college at UMaine. I, um, I knew right after high school I was going to go into the green industry. And uh, so I went to UMaine 
or started in the horticulture program there. And then I realized pretty quick that turf was kind of where I wanted to be and uh, wasn't too interested in stacking bricks or laying mulch or any of that jazz. <laughs> so I decided to, uh, My guy. you know, <laughs> so I, you know, did the whole mowing thing through high school and whatever, like everyone does. And then I'm like, yeah, nah, I'm good with this. And, uh, so I started poking around a little bit and I called the board of pesticides and I said, eh, how old are you going to be to get your pesticide license? I mean, well, we never had that question before, but so while I'm almost 18 is, yeah, that's probably good enough. <clears throat> so I went to get my <laughs> pesticide license and then <laughs> the next year I kind of started the business, I guess, you know, that part of it. And I said, well, you know, there's been a, like one or two other people that have done it this far North. And, uh, I said, I have no idea how this is going to go. So the first year I started it and uh, exploded crazy. I mean, crazy for Ursi County, Maine. Uh, started out, you know, just on the, the turf application side. And then uh, actually, no, I take that back. The first year I got a state contract doing roadside veg management for the state DOT, killing brush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of whatever. It was a good learning experience. I wouldn't do it again. But, uh, you know, I learned a lot of shit doing that. And then, you know, as the couple of years went on, started doing mosquito tick, started doing barometer pests, started doing tree and shrub. Um, and then, you know, here we are almost 10 years later. Uh, you know, I got two guys that work with me now and uh, mm-hmm. we, uh, we, we own it up here and uh, yeah. c- central Maine too. We're doing, we're doing some down there. So we kind of cover the, I guess, n- Northern, third half of the state i suppose um so it's kind of it's not kind of it's a very unique setup and area that we we cover and uh you know very unique climate even for you know anyone else who's cool season or or northern end of the cool season you know realm this is north as it gets right here um so that's kind of that's kind of me i guess that's a Um, man there is a lot that there's a lot to unpack there. So the first thing yes. I noticed, <laughs> first thing I thought of in hearing all that, besides the many questions that I have, which I'll get to in a minute, but I picture this whole pesticide board thing being like, you know, you call them and then they tell you to show up at this address and you walk in and there's a black leather couch and a desk and a guy in an office says, do you want to be in the <laughs> pesticide industry? How bad do you want to be in the pesticide industry? <laughs> it wasn't quite like that. Being, um, Will you be willing to will you be willing to be on camera to be in the pesticide industry so I can show this to other pesticide <laughs> applicators and see what they think? Anyway, all right, I digress there. <laughs> you know, real quick. You knew that you wanted to be in the green industry. What why? Like there's not many people like I was like that. I was like that in the beginning. Like I knew for sure this is what I wanted to do. So I'm always curious, like what drove you to that decision that early? So I guess when I was well, started out I'll tell the story like I tell everyone. And it's maybe cliche, sure. but I don't give a shit. Um, when I was probably 11, 12 years old, I I like being outside. And I was like, well, I kind of like to make some money. That'd be cool. And uh, so my uncle and my cousins were potato farmers. And they knew that, whatever. So <laughs> my uncle called me one night and said, hey, we're going to be picking rocks out in the field you know, tomorrow. Do you, you want to come work? And I said, yeah, sure. And started out $7 an hour following behind an old rock cart, picking rocks out of the potato fields once they're planted. And ever since then, I was like, well, you know, I like working outside, whatever, but obviously did not want to be picking rocks the rest of my life. And um, 
so as I got, you know, through high school, you know, started mowing lawns, whatever, I was like, all right, this is cool, but smart enough to realize that, you know, I need a little more and a little more behind this to make all this mesh as a career. And then decided to, you know, go to school for horticulture, then turf and realize like, yeah, this is, I'm obsessed with this. I, I love grass, you know, and uh, I just, I don't remember like the exact moment of how that, that all came about. But once I got into it, it was just, it's like, yep, that's what I'm doing. That's what it is. Yeah. And uh, I actually, I'll tell you another quick story. I had a college professor at UMaine who, it was the only turf class I had at UMaine. And it was just so they could say they had one. But little did I know, it was kind of my intro into the real turf industry. Uh, I mean, the Hort program at UMaine was great, but it was not very, I guess, industry focused. Or I, I didn't think it was at the time. It was centered more towards, uh, you know, People like flowers and that kind of shit, which is fine, but wasn't, you know, geared towards me. And so they had one turf class and the guy that came up to teach it, it was on Friday afternoons, three hours, uh, three hour class, whatever. And uh, Jesse O'Brien owned Downey's Turf Farms in um, Southern Maine, Sod Farm. And he'd been involved in the industry forever. He came up to teach turf class and the first, and he always tells the story whenever we're together at conferences, because I talk to him all the time now. And uh, he says, you know, first first class, I ask kids, well, what's your first experience with grass? You know, what, what made, what, when you hear grass, what, what do you think of? And some kids, you know, will say 10 seconds, oh, and mow the lawn for my parents or walk around bare feet. And then he said, here comes friggin' Pat out there talking about grass and mowing grass and, you know, height of the grass, this and that. And then he says, yeah. And then in my dorm room, I got, you know, some artificial turf rugs and, you know, this and that goes on for 20 minutes. And he said, I knew right there that Pat was a little bit special, but grass was going to be his thing. <laughs> so that's, that's <laughs> another story about me and grass and people made fun of me, but I didn't give a shit. So I think I'm that's maybe same. the only one here that went uh without the intention of getting into the green industry ray did you know from the get-go that that you were gonna you were gonna move into into turf grass or at least within the green industry oh you're on mute oh ray ray you you muted your microphone you need to unmute he didn't know he did not he did not he did not update his audio driver yeah, see, that's what happens when you do these computer updates. Is uh, you have to you have to reset it's that your audio setting. It's, funny it's that it capitalist pig, Bill Gates, striking again. <laughs> God damn. Anyway, so no, I, yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know, there, there's, I, I will say that that you know, it's always interesting to hear how people found the industry and how they got into it. And you sound, is that Ray? Ray? No, no, he. I was gonna yeah, say that. He dropped again. Okay, no. I was going to say, like, there, there's something about it, like, where the people who are really, really good okay. at it, and not to say that... This, okay, oh, now can you, you hear go. me? Hey, we got you. Ray is yeah. Let's hear, this, let's hear the story of Ray. So, anyway... snapper. I kind of knew what I was going to do by the time I was 17. But, uh, I just wasn't sure exactly where I'd end up because uh, I thought, okay, maybe I'll end up on a golf course. Maybe I'll end up uh, growing sod. Maybe I'll end up uh, managing a nursery. Little did I know that I'd be 
self-employed and unemployable for the last 20 years. <laughs> little did I know. Little did I know. It's funny how that ends up working out. Um, yeah, I, that is, it, it is interesting that all three of y'all from, from pretty much the get-go, and uh, meanwhile, that was the furthest thing from my mind was the green industry. Uh, <laughs> no need to highlight me on the camera there, uh, Jay Pink, uh, because that was that was my cop out. I was like, well, I I failed as an engineer, so how do I get out of how do I get out of this as quickly as possible? And uh, turfgrass turned out to be the fast path to uh, uh, somewhere real quick that. I never intended on going, but glad I did. <laughs> glad to be here, boys. Glad to be here. So, all right. So you now, go, 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 you, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say you're you're managing turf in a in a very very weird place. I would equate this to be to like managing turf in northern Minnesota, North Dakota. Um, you know, but you, you've you got to be even though you've got similar weather patterns that they do. Um, I'm sure Maine has its own sets of little challenges and issues. I'm curious. I know the Appalachians kind of continue to run up that way. Are you, do you have to deal with uh, elevation at all in, in some of the areas where, where you're maintaining turf? Um, I guess I've never really got out the, the map and all the layers and figured it out that way. But <clears throat> I guess there's some areas that, you know, are a little higher elevation than not, but I don't think to any degree that would really affect, you know, anything I'm doing. Um, not where you're like up there at 8,000 feet, you know, struggling no, for air, no, trying no. to walk across property thing. Yeah. It's probably kind of like uh, Knoxville here, you know, where maybe you're 800, you know, feet above sea level, nothing crazy. You know, you don't notice it. You just yeah. got some shit. Um, Something like then, that. Yeah. The other thing I would say too is how long is your growing season? So, I mean, growing season, I take it as on an average year up here, if we're lucky, we can get out and start doing apps by late May. Uh, this year was like mid May, it was super early. Um, and then we go through past couple of years, been extending a little bit, but like call it first week in November, and then you're kind of playing with fire. Um, you know, a couple of years prior to that, you know, maybe late October and we get three inches of snow and it sticks around and you're done. Um, but past couple of years, we've been pretty lucky. Like this year we were out through, I think it was November 15th. I mean, not, you know, full speed, but I mean, you know, you can do shit. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not a super long season, um, uh, but it's not, you know, that bad. I mean, I, I'm used to it, you know, we're just, that's how it. I've always known, uh, you know, guys are doing spring cleanups, you know, sometimes in April, uh, sometimes guys can't even get out, do spring cleanups before first of May. And then, you know, bust ass for two weeks. And then, you know, we do our thing, uh, you know, mid to late May. Um, but I mean, honestly, some people up here don't get their first apps until, until June sometimes. Um, so I mean, it's, it's a difference. It's a different ball game. So six Uh, months is is yeah. really what you've got to rock and roll go go ahead pretty, pretty much i was curious on you know uh, the, the territory you guys cover up there you know the geography i i know that we have you know folks that cover more rural or you know outlying areas and stuff like that like how do you manage that piece like in terms of just the logistics and having multiple guys and where you got to go especially when you're in application season like how does that work for you guys 
so lately in past few years where it's really kind of taken off in terms of stupid growth um especially you know go down south and i usually go go down that way and you know stay overnight whatever um but i mean kind of have you know let's say bangor greater bangor area if you can look on a map and figure that out for my house about three hours uh that's kind of where i'm trying to be further south i've gone i i do go further south than that but that's maybe not no longer uh so bangor area go down there and then what's kind of nice, I guess, is in between Bangor and, and Arusa County, which is, you know, up here in the middle, there's a few little zones that are kind of more no man's land. But, you know, we do some stuff along the way. So it always ends up that, you know, on the way down or on the way back, there's always, you know, stuff to do that you kind of, you know, make a trip of it, go for two or three days and then, you know, another couple of weeks, another two, three days or whatever. Um, you know, so it, it is tough because no matter how you slice it, you know, from here to Bangor is whatever, 200 some miles. Um, mm. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a ride, you know, it's not just like you're getting up in the morning, you're driving five miles from your house and coming back. And, you know, yeah, we have some areas that, you know, we, we do a lot in one town or whatever, but it, it's, it's windshield time up here. Uh, that's just what it is. There's no way around it. Uh, it's sparsely populated. I think population density in Aroostook County is something stupid like 11 per square mile or some stupid <laughs> shit like that. Because mm, no. last, yeah, go ahead, go last ahead. census, um, Aroostook County population was like called 70,000 and land area wise was bigger than Connecticut and Rhode Island combined. Um, <laughs> and I mean, you know, yeah, it's stupid. And you take Aroostook County and if you look at it, you know, you follow kind of I ninety five and then Route one, you know, corridor, if you will, within, you know, not th- not that many miles to the east because then you're in Canada, but to the west, maybe seventy miles ish. And then after that, you know, once you get further west than that in Aroostook County, you're in no man's land. You know, that whole northwestern part of the the state up, up here is literally no man's land. Allagash Wilderness Waterway, and th- there's nobody that lives there. Period. So it, it's very kind of narrow strip. You know as you're coming up the north northeast side and that's it you know so having that kind of you know i think about it from an applicator perspective right and and you know running in in densely populated areas especially compared to what you're used to you know i think about i i've come up with these ridiculous names for uh, uh, you know customer experiences i've had but you know say like 9:30 a.m. margarita mary calls and has a dandelion on the corner of the house and is like, can you come take care of this dandelion today? You don't have that flexibility. You're like, you, you, I mean, on the front end, it's gotta be established that you can call me, but from the time you call me till the time that I'm going to be able to show up is going to be according to my schedule, not according to your schedule. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, maybe going to be part of the growing pains as this goes forward. And especially, you know, in those further off areas that may run into some people that, you know, that may be an issue or I may not have run into that issue before. Uh, you know, I guess I've been decent enough at managing expectations and this and that to this point where it hasn't become an issue, but I see what you mean about, you know, yeah, it's not going to happen tomorrow. You know, unless you happen to catch me like, Oh yeah, I'll be, you know, I'll be back down there in two days. You know, that happens, but to catch it like that mm, doesn't always happen. Now, as cool as it is up there, um, but you still go through periods of dry weather, of course, and uh, and you still go through periods of heat too, right? 
So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess what does that look like? Or I guess really where I'm going with this is what does your disease pressure look like? You know what? No, scrap that. Let's go. Let's go (laughs) even prior to that. Let's talk about what are your main turf types you're dealing with. So pretty much uh, Kentucky blue. I wish there was probably a little more of it. Um, You know, perennial rye. uh, uh, Probably not a ton of that. Just, you know, here and there as the cheap seed mixes come and go. Um, And then, you know, turf type 12 fescue for sure. K31 here, there and everywhere. Unfortunately, a lot of these older big farm lawns, a lot of fine fescue, a lot of bent grass, just, you know, these, uh, they were seeded whenever they were seeded back in 1975 or whatever. And that's the only seed they've seen, uh, you know, just the old triple 10 and TriMet classic for 30 years, uh, mm-hmm. on a full sun, fine fescue, bent grass lawn. And here we are. And, you know, now they wonder as we're starting to get, you know, um, consecutive periods of ex- record drought, record heat, you know, this, that, and the other, uh, chinch bugs everywhere. Oh, geez, why is this happening now? Well, you know, finally starting to catch up with you, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of the turf we're dealing with. Um, more fine fescue than I'd like to admit, but, um, you know, there's a decent amount of tall fescue, uh, you know, some bluegrass, uh, that kind of jazz. So what does the season look like? Is it, do you have high pressure? Is it just snow mold coming out of winter? What's it look like? Yeah, snow mold is a big one, um, you know, because obviously extended snow cover. And then, you know, some people pile it high in one area or not. And some people scrape, you know, right over the top of their whole front lawn because, oh, we got to make room for more snow or whatever. Uh, so snow mold, um, red thread on, you know, fine fescue type crap. Um, a couple of years ago, we had real bad, you know, drought conditions, heat, whatever, combined with, uh, you know, super thatchy lawns, summer patch slash what I thought was summer patch, necrotic ring spot became a pretty bad issue that I had never seen before. I don't think anyone else had either. Just, you know, combined with the, the heat and the drought that we had, it was record breaking you know, all these old issues that weren't really issues before because the weather was always average. And then you put those together and it kind of exploded. Uh, dollar spot eh, here and there. Uh, brown patch. Yeah, I'm sure it's out there, but I mean, nothing, nothing really crazy or that most people are ever going to notice um, or, or, or care, care to treat or, you know, get on a fungicide program. Um, sure. You know, the other thing is, Irrigation is pretty much non-existent up here, which, mm-hmm. you know, most years before we started having, seems the past couple, two, three years, the shit started to hit the fan. But, you know, you didn't really need it. You know, we always got rain. It was always in not super hot. Uh, season was short enough that it didn't seem to matter. Um, but now, you know, you're getting all these issues and there's no irrigation. And some of these lawns are, you know, we're not talking posted stamp lawns. Some of these lawns are two, three, four, five acres, residential home lawns. And it's not just one or two, it's a lot of them. So, you know, you have an issue and, you know, control product needs to be watered in or we're not getting rain for a month or whatever. And there's no irrigation. People are like, well, what do I do? It's like, mm, I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. not much you can do. You have no way to irrigate that. Um, no way to water in whatever control product you need. And it's like, well... It's new territory for all of us. 
time to time to ride the lightning, so to speak. So you you know, limited disease pressure. What about what about weed pressure? Like, when does your crabgrass season start? Don't don't have one. Um, <laughs> oh, it doesn't get warm enough. I was gonna say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, starting to get more of it on edges and stuff like that. But I mean, to have it overtake, you know, areas, not doesn't happen. Like pre-emerge, like you know, even you know the the dumbest homeowner in you know even you go southern New England, everyone knows what pre-emerge is. Up here, people are like, "What?" You know, it's it's not a thing. It's, we've never mm-hmm. had an, an issue to, enough to deal with it. Uh, you know, dandelions, yeah, sure, whatever. That's the big thing. All the old French people up here, you know, they see one yellow flower and they flip out. Um, <laughs> but you know, up here we get a lot of wild strawberry, uh, wild strawberry, and I'd say heal all. Probably my nemesis. Um, those are just nuts up here. Um, certain areas more so than others. Um, let me think here. Yeah, those are the worst ones by far. Heal all, just bane of my existence. What is what is Hilo? Heal all, uh, Brunella vulgaris, I think. It's a broadleaf weed that is not especially susceptible to traditional treeways and i caught uh, you when you said wild strawberry and that too also not susceptible to traditional treeways so and <laughs> <laughs> I, I know yeah and uh, i've been on the triclopyr train for quite a few years now uh i i don't think I don't even know if I've used a, tradi- a traditional three-way in the past four or five years, unless it was to spike it with Reclopeer. Um And even, mm-hmm. I mean, I've tried straight Turflon Ester at high rate, actually this past fall, so we're going to see in the spring. I had some places that, you know, turf was beautiful, but just, you know, and we were talking a five-acre lawn, patches everywhere of Heal All, Wild Strawberry, uh, Ground Ivy, whatever. You know, and even like Blanket Appetizone, you know, in the springtime, didn't really do a whole hell of a lot on that. Cleaned up everything else, and it zinged it, but then come back in the fall, and it's like, mm, okay, this shit's still here. So, full app, full rate of uh, Turflon Ester um, on that stuff, we're going to see. After that, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I'm lost. Yeah, the only thing well, I would say to add to that would be uh, Fluoroxapir and do do a little Tricopyr Fluoroxapir mix. That mm, would be did that too. Ferocious. Yep. Yep. Did that. And uh and then there's always always the possibility of Matt and I like to do this. It's called roll your own mix. <laughs> and okay. That that's where that's where I have fun because I do keep a little bit of speed zone around, but otherwise I don't think I am a big three-way person, and I haven't been a three-way person in uh, over 20 years. That's not my thing because efficacy is limited. So, yeah, Ray, we'd be looking is, at a non... What is the... Uh... Isn't there a turf version of a straight fluoroxapir? And I am drawing a blank on that herbicide name. Yeah, Vis- okay. Vista XRT. Vic- Vista XRT. Okay. Vista XRT, or else the old down name for that was 
Spotlight. Spotlight is oh. what it was. Yeah. yeah, that was that was the old That's... that was the old down name for. But here's the thing: is that I never had a chance to get my hands on Vista or uh, or even Spotlight because, for one thing, a lot of warm season grasses don't do well on fluoroxapir. No, no, they don't. They just they just don't do it. Uh, Zoisha, however, is tolerant. Zoisha's tolerant, so that would that would be one. But then, on a cool season turf with problem weeds, I'd be looking at full rate triclopyr, half rate fluoroxapir, and probably two ounces dicamba per acre. Yeah, I so I you were you were running you were running a full rate of fluoroxapir and leaving behind your helo and your wild strawberry. Yeah, so what I did this past fall and I was just kind of trying it out is just full rate of triclopyr, so it was a whatever uh 0.73 ounces per thousand, so whatever that comes out to. Yeah, yeah. Um court and, per uh, acre. You know, that's, yeah, court yeah, per acre. Yeah. That's a the court per acre. Well, so I, triclopyr I ran that for- by itself. Yeah, triclopyr by itself often needs a helper because triclopyr by itself is not what I'd call the ultimate answer. And I, I've personally never laid triclopyr solo because at the very minimum... Oh, hell, I have. <laughs> no, I, I, I always have various uh, go-withs, uh, the least... Wild goal list would be 2,4-D, Esther. Then from there, it gets crazier as needed. Depending so, well, on and you. honestly, what were you seeing after your app? Or have, have yeah, you been curious. able to see yet? I haven't really, just because some of them were pretty late. Oh, I say pretty late. You know, we were having, you know, warm temps or good temps for spraying, you know, right through first of November this year, which is again, kind of unheard of, but so I haven't really had a chance, uh, to see anything. I will this spring. Um, but I mean, uh, you know, I did full rate triclopyr and then what I would kind of been doing the past couple falls is I'd run out of my, you know, early order of T zone or cool power or whatever. And then, you know, I personally would start rolling my own, um, as it started getting cooler, you know, two forty ester, uh, Turflon ester, Vista, uh, I'd mix those in varying uh, ratios, you know, just whatever I felt like that day. And overall, it worked pretty good. Um, but, you know, sometimes I'd still be left with, you know, heal all here and there or, you know, the strawberries here and there. It's like, damn, like, what else can I throw at this shit? Man, Clo- um, this is where Clopyrolid would be wonderful if it was labeled for residential turf, you know? I mean, because that would actually- be... Actually, I, Matt, that'd be the hot sauce. I heard. What? No, what? I heard. I heard from somebody. See, he called me today, and my buddy of mine asked me about something called Grayson, <laughs> and I, I just told him, "Sir, please don't, please don't," <laughs> because uh, I said. You start running Grayson if the Department of Ag doesn't nail your ass to the wall, 
you will be responsible for a lot of dead trees. <laughs> so I told him, don't. Okay, I just yeah, told him, don't. Leave, leave graze on <laughs> to the pastures, uh, not, not, not residential lawns. Um, no. Yeah, man, that's, I've, I've that's got to be frustrating as hell to have that come, be left behind after that kind of application, because that's, that's a pretty nuclear arsenal there. Oh yeah, yes and I mean, no, I, Matt. I've done the, I've done yes the sure no. power thing, and you know mm-hmm. you got to temper it up here because again, a lot of these old farm lawns, you know, yeah, there's a lot of junk in there that I wouldn't mind sure power dinging up, but in a, a four acre lawn, you know, someone who doesn't know the difference and just sees greenish grass, if you you know even temporarily zing out a big patch of bent grass or you know quack or whatever, you know that's like a lot of explaining to do that I'd, I'd rather not. So <laughs> yeah. I have to be careful with where I use your power, you know, in blanket capacity. Um, where I've been ballsy enough to do it to clean stuff up worked pretty well. Um, one I did this past fall and I was right on the line. It was like September 14th, you know, as for, as per new mm-hmm. farms, you know, guidelines, I was like, mm, that's ballsy. gambling. Yeah, and it was uh, the hospital, the local hospital up here, and it was like mm, seven acres. I said, screw it, blanket, and uh, one ounce per thousand. And oh, after boy. like a week, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, this is not too bad, not too bad. And then I started seeing like a little bit of bleaching. I'm like, okay, no one else probably noticing. <laughs> and then it went away. I was like, all right, this overall I'm pretty happy with this. And I went back, you know, for like the late, late fall app, whatever. And, uh, pretty clean. I was impressed. It was, it was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, so they, that's, I, ball, that's one product that is, it's uh, from what they say and what I've seen, what my experience has been with it, albeit limited is it, it is extremely touchy about when you apply it and what comes after it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like in terms of weather, it's just, you know, really tried it this summer. And basically what we were doing, you know, just to kind of fuck around and find out with it was just made a, made an app, not in the same spot, but in different areas, like once a month, starting in May, I think. And we did a May app, a June app, a July app, an August app, a September app, and I think we even did an October app. And, uh, you know, they, they want you to spray it in the heat. They want you to spray it when the grass is sort of dormant, right? They don't want it juiced up. They don't want it cold. And everything that I saw suggests otherwise. Like, it, it, did, not, it did not work uh, the way that they said it would do. So that's, that's interesting. Uh, I was just doing a little research here because I've never had to deal with Hulal. But uh, my boy Aaron Patton over there, weed ecologist and turf grass expert over at uh, Purdue, mentions quinclorac have you ever tried an als inhibitor on the heel i can't say that i have um jog my memory what else would maybe be in that class besides quinclorac that i would you think of uh or i would have so tried? the uh a claim would be in there right ray what else help me out here ray okay. a claim and if you're 100 percent sure One that mic. you have Fine yep. fescue and tall fescue and nothing else, you can run fusillade or ornamic because Flazifop yeah, yeah. is selective in fine fescue and tall fescue. But if you have any other species of cool season grass, no fusillade <laughs> because you're gonna you're gonna soon find out 
how much fine fescue and tall fescue you actually have in that mix because bent grass gone, KBG severely damaged, uh, rye probably dead. So, but the thing is, is that you were saying something about Quinclorac, uh, Ryan? Yeah, Purdue mentions Quinclorac as a okay. uh, control mechanism. Okay. For it. Here's it's an oxen mimic, where, so it makes yeah, sense. Here's where, I, here's where I like Quinclorac. I like Quinclorac as part of a tank mix containing something like triclopyr or fluoroxapyr because That's what I mean, yeah. the, the two chemistries add up in the weed and produce results. And by the way, Matt, what happened to Eric's where he had all of that wild violet all over the place? Yeah. What happened after that? Mm -hmm. What happened after that Quinclorac 2,4-D and Triclopyr bomb that I put on it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's a very effective, uh, tank mix. And I, and to be honest, yeah, that's not one I thought of. Um, I'm trying to think too, as far as really ramping up the broadleaf weed control, I, I, you, I mean, Quinclorac may be your last kind of line of defense there, uh, as far as diversification. There is one more, there is one more mode that I would probably play around with, especially in the fall when it's cooler. I would consider adding four ounce per acre of sulfentrazone. I was going to ask about a PPO. And, yeah, that, and, uh, and, and, this is, and this is what sulfentrazone does. Sulfentrazone opens leaves. And when I say it opens leaves, if you have triclopyr with it will tend to make the triclopyr go in. Now, here's the thing about using sulfentrazone, though. And this is like the next piece while we're on the subject. I always say when spraying weeds, coverage is king. Okay, coverage yeah, what, is what, king. What kind, of, what kind of rigs are we running here? Uh, uh, yeah. You probably should know that. <laughs> Pretty much uh, steel green or Z spray. Um, I mean, the small ones, you know, we'll hose them with a, you know, yellow Kemlon nozzle. Um, Matt just died inside most a little of the bit. time. My man. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's running the wrong color green, and that's okay, but at least he makes up for it because, you know, hey, listen, I've got mad respect for anybody still running a Lesco gun because I tell you what, I've sprayed too many tens of thousands of acres with it over my career. So, what? We, we, yeah, there we Ooh, go. Yeah. Yeah, that's the new one. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, yeah, we kind of make our own custom Lesco guns because one of my guys that came on a few years ago, I was using the Lesco gun, and then he said, "Nah, nah, you got to get rid of that shit." He said, "We figured out what he was using, and it's a Woodor turbo gun body, and then it's kind of like angled at the top, like a forty-five, and got the fittings to just screw on uh, Lesco nozzles." 
And I said, what mm-hmm. the fuck is this? And then we started using it and you can get in under trees and stuff like so oh, much better yes. because the Lesco gun is, you know, you're straight out. And this one, it's like a big trigger valve and it's kind of a 45. So you can so much better, so much better. Well, oh yeah. Uh, and also mm-hmm. I know something about those Udor hand pieces in that they're extremely durable in terms of corrosion resistance and holding up to pressure because I use the, uh, I guess, the vineyard and orchard version of the Udor gun. You know the one with the orange cone in front of it? Mm-hmm. The sliding orange cone? That one I'm running at up to 700 PSI. <laughs> Jesus. Christ. Okay. Yeah, I'm running that up to 700, but it handles the pressure. But I could see how it's very handy it, because with that 45 kink in it, you can easily just kind of turn it upside down and get under things. I mean, and also the trigger action is very light. It's not a yeah, hard gun you, to, it, to deal with. <laughs> You can kind of like it, it feels like it to me anyway, but you know, you're not quite pulling it all the way, so you're getting like half the pressure, three quarters of the pressure. So, if you're getting real close, some sensitive stuff, you can kind of ease off a little bit, you know. Maybe that's yeah, it in my yeah. head, but it seems to it's work. Kinda no, like when, you, not... when you spray with the Kim Long gun, you keep your finger behind the trigger. Anybody that's got <laughs> enough time with it knows you listen. spray half the time with your finger behind the trigger, you know. Listen, listen yeah. on the Don't subject, firearm that way. On the subject of kinks and triggers for Matt, <laughs> Jay Pink, go ahead and throw up those pictures I just sent you over here. This guy right here. Look at this. Look at this thing. Yep. So this, have you seen this thing yet? This is hideous. Yeah, I, I test drove it. Look at you. What what a terrible so, concept. Well, all, I, all I can picture not, is, God love him. This is God not, love Jim Beveridge, but I can see him sunk <laughs> to the frame in this in some backyard. This is not... In, this is not something that you're taking West through Lake somebody's Ohio. yard gate. Yeah, this is not something you're taking through somebody's yard gate in suburban Cleveland. Like, this is for <laughs> wide areas. Like, so, you know, for uh, Patrick here, who's going through big, huge areas or whatever, like, this this has some merit. That tank slides off, too, Matt. You got two uh, couplers, care. and it slides right off, and you can stick your spreader on there. Look oh, at that thing. good. <laughs> it's got yeah, a light bar, uh... dude. Look. Look, you can you can spray in the dark. <laughs> I test drove it in so in Florida, and it's uh I don't know, it's pretty cool. But even for the lawns that I have, like it would be pretty limited. It pretty limited. Oh, it's just oh. so big. You gotta get some bigger cool props. Concept, you gotta get some. <laughs> you go back I'll, to your hey, roadside I, management and uh, and bring, bring that. I love it on board. I like it. You know, uh, I, I was thinking about next level broadleaf weed control here, and I'm going towards the direction of uh, away from that machine that just came on the screen there and ruptured my cornea. But um, uh, haloxifen methyl, uh, Arlex uh, from Cortiva. Ah. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't, can is RLX labeled for turf or is it just their game on product that's labeled for turf? I believe it's, it's just, just game on. Ga- it's just game on. And so far, Cortiva has not been granted uh, 
residential registration for anything containing RLX active. I don't think so. I think no, it's I, I, stri- strictly uh, sports field and golf only. And uh, but uh, the hangup I know is EPA is not sure that the RLX active is in fact going to stay in the lawn and not kill trees because another now defunct company had an extremely bad experience with something that did kill trees. Rest in peace. And he, rest in peace. And rest in you're laughing. You're laughing because you know what that is. And <laughs> I know what it is too, because it has been granted a second life as a vegetation management herbicide. Is it, is it a streamline? Is that the standalone? Uh, is that what it is? No. Uh, uh, I know it. I know. No, I know it as nested, nested SL. Method. Yep. And that's, yep. the, that's the thing that I start to make all of these nice little tank mixes with imazapir, metsulfuron, uh, glyphosate, or triclopyr, or 2,4-D, depending on what mood I'm in. <laughs> so I don't think, the, kind of a tangent here, I don't think they still make it as blended anymore, but I've gotten a hold and used some uh, viewpoint before, which is imazapir, mm-hmm. metsulfuron, methyl, and um, can't I think of the name of... That, I mean, yeah, it's a cool yep. pericolor thing, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, and right? I tell you what, yeah. And you, <laughs> you want to stick to the label on that. You you do not want to use that within, jeez, 100 <laughs> feet in any given direction of any susceptible um, trees. <laughs> it, kind of, it kind of reminds me of what one of my teachers uh, told me about products like that. He said that if you can see a desirable tree, you're too close. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's what one of my instructors said a long time ago. He said, if you can see a desirable tree, you're just too close because you spray it, it's going to move in the soil, and that tree is dying. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I was going to throw <laughs> up a, uh, the technical bulletin on haloxifen methyl here, and uh, I'm assuming what they're trying to signify here with this hydrolytic stability is its uh, stability in, in water. Um, and in soil. And, yeah, a pH of 7, 155 days, I could see where that would be a problem uh, from, the, from the tree standpoint, right? So, mm-hmm. And I would say, mm-hmm. since you are still relatively close, I mean, you're probably not dealing with like crazy high soil pHs, are you? I'd say you're neutral to acidic, I'm guessing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, you know, we'll see some like 7.1, 7.2 here and there. But I mean, mm-hmm. honestly you know, five, five to six, five. I mean, we're pretty much in the range, um, okay. you know, randomly you'll see a five and randomly you'll see a seven, two, but it's not really crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, haloxifen methyl may not be your, your best bet there. Cause you know, I would assume up there you're dealing with lots and lots of trees as well. Um, and it, and that kind of pins me over. I know we'd like to talk about turf, but I'm interested in how your tree shrub business is doing. Do you do a lot of big tree work or is it mainly just landscaping and stuff? 
No, so I mean, I, just just the apps, you know, uh, and I mean, it's not really a program per se that that wouldn't be. I've tried. It's not really a seller up here, you know. It's more of specific issue or a little set of issues um, that you know we'll treat and set up a little program for people that have the same issue year after year after year. Um, you know, so like birch leaf miner is pretty common. You know, it, it's it's a big mm-hmm. visual thing. People see, oh, gee, my leaves are burnt. You know, yeah, okay, whatever. And so you know, we'll do a little, uh, yeah, uh, little two app program for that, and then uh, you know, needle cast uh, and and related uh, disease, you know, whatever diseases related do you, do you to that. Get the, that. the gypsy moths up there? Uh, no, not so much up here. Um, down, you know, southern Maine. You know, I've done some work down there for like winter moth. Um, brown tail moth is a big thing kind of right in that coastal, you know, area down close to Portland. Um, that shit's pretty nasty. Um, but yeah, winter moth, brown tail, um, trying to think those are the big ones past few years, but they haven't really made it up here. Um, no, I mean, pretty much birch leaf miner, um, you know, different soft fly caterpillars, uh, needle cast, you know, a lot of evergreens people have, you know, massive, know rows of evergreens uh so we'll do some needle cast work uh you know like two three apps uh you know as buds break and stuff like that every three four weeks um we'll do some deep root in the fall um trying to think what else it's not a ton it really isn't i wish it could be more because obviously the margins are great and it's pretty easy um you know i've got a decent little setup um i'm trying to think here what is it kappa 75 or whatever five base hose um some Udor turbine guns. So, I mean, you know, we can I get up. Those. That'll make a man out of you right there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> My guys don't like it too much, but <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And, uh, it, it, you can just hold, you can hose some shit down with that pretty quick. You get that <laughs> turbine gun going, you know, 400 PSI or whatever, and you get what you need to get. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not a ton, but I don't know. It's a nice little addition. Uh, just because the margins are so great, you know, it's ridiculous. If there's okay, I'm, I'm so I'm curious. Then, okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I'm a crybaby over a three eighth hose. I know I can't, and a, a half inch hose <laughs> is one of those where I question my sanity and career choices. A five eighth hose, I don't know. I'd I'd hang it up. All right, you just you think ahead, of, just think about how much more efficiently you could make those spite applications, Matt. If you just <laughs> size up, I mean, like, into my own face. Well, yeah. the the difference well, is is that. You, you know when you're doing a tree app is you're not having to run while pulling that hose behind you and keeping that up over an entire half acre. However, having said that, uh, I, I work it a little different in that if I only have one or two trees to deal with in an entire property, I don't unroll hose. I have an alternate way of dealing with it. And? And that way? That is one seven-gallon engine drive backpack that, <laughs> oh, generates, boy, here we go. that generates over 500 PSI. <laughs> and it will run a turbine gun. I should actually use that for crowd, for crowd controls in Honolulu. Uh, Ray is actually part of the National Guard. 
<laughs> call him out for that. So, uh, no, I was just gonna ask. You know, so you know, of all the, all the different stuff you've gotten into over the years, you know, uh, if you could focus on one thing, one facet to grow in, what would it be? And if you could focus on one what? area, like just geographic area to grow in, like what are you gonna? I'm just curious of uh, of those plans and like. Or is it just like, hey, status quo, and we're good, and we're happy? Because there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if 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 shit's working out, I'm just curious of like no. how that plays out in your mind or what you think about. So you know, I, I like how things are going. You know, I, I don't think I want to be uh, you know twenty techs. You know, I don't think I ever want to get to that point. I mean, maybe that'll change in five years. Maybe it'll go a lot less than it is. But um, no, I mean, I, I do want to grow some more. Um, you know, obviously that that Eastern Maine you know, a little bit further away. I mean, yeah, it's further. Yeah. There's a little bit of competition, but I mean, there's so much work. There's a crazy amount of work for, for the companies that are there and probably will be there for the next, you know, five, 10 years. Like I don't see, you know, 10 company companies coming into even that area. It's not going to happen, especially the way the labor mm-hmm. is right now. Uh, so, I mean, that's an area that's, you know, if you really want to jump down there and maybe have a little satellite branch or at least one guy can work out of there in addition to someone shuffling back and forth, uh, I mean, you could blow that up. Uh, I mean, there's still room to grow up where I'm at, too. Uh, it helps that I don't really have any competition, like pretty much none. Um, so that helps. Uh, as far as, you know, areas of the business, I, you know, I always go back to the turf side of it because I, I enjoy that the most. Uh, but as far as, you know, what makes the most business sense, the pest side by far, uh, would be the smartest thing to try and grow. And it's probably the easiest to, not like lawn is that, you know, hard to scale, but the pest side's even easier to scale. Uh, you know, mosquito tick, uh, you know, trying to get a little more into the structural side, but I mean, you know, ant spiders, you know, perimeter type stuff. I mean, that's, that's easy. Um, you know, so that side of it, business wise, yeah, I'd love to grow that, you know, double, triple what we're doing, you know, specifically in that now. Um, and I don't think that's really that much of a stretch because, I mean, that's going less on the cosmetic side and more on the, you know, yeah, okay, public health. But, you know, comfort of, a, you know, I don't like insects around my home or I have this issue with these insects or rodents in my home. Please come fix it. I will pay you whatever. Um, so, I mean... You know, business-wise, yeah, that's that's where I'd like to push more, I think. Telly actually had a great question here. Can you do business in Canada? I've oh, looked yeah. into that. Um, and I think if I really got deep into it, like maybe, but um, there's the whole work visa thing over there is pretty complex, and Canadians mm. are pretty protective about their, their own workers, citizens, whatever. Um, so, you know, a couple of years I looked at it a little bit, um, and I was like, nah, it's too much of a headache. And, uh, I actually know, you know, an applicator or two and guy that works right over the border that I buy some product from and, uh, we do go back and forth and it, it works out. So, but yeah, no, I, I thought about it one time, but too much political and red tape bullshit. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> I figured, well, I, I don't know. I assume as long as you don't show up in a tractor trailer, they'd be inviting, but maybe I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> there, there, there used to be a, a weed man franchise, like as the crow flies, probably like 50 miles across the border from here. Actually, but they're, they're a Canadian company. I believe uh, is mm-hmm. where, where weed man started. Yeah. Um, However, I, I think that all kind of went away 
when yeah. Canada went pesticide ban. When Canada went pesticide ban, it all went away. Yeah, different provinces are different. I know in New Brunswick, you know, I I got a buddy of mine over there. He's an applicator and he does a little bit of fert blending and stuff. And um, some of the stuff he tells me is like, oh, well, we can use this and do this, but we can't do this. It's like, that makes no sense. You know, like they're not letting you use this thing, but they're using the more toxic thing. And it, it literally makes no sense. So I don't know what they're mm-hmm. doing over there. Well, you know, it's a no. It's not a that Maine's much better right hey, now, but Tennessee, man. Hey, if it pours, you can spray it. <laughs> <laughs> don't put it in a Gatorade bottle, please. Please do not put it in a bottle. That's the shit that chaps my ass. Hand drawn skull and crossbones. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Well, I feel like we dissected your your business to holy hell. What were you going to say to me? Go ahead. No, 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 no. I wanted. I was going to say let's let's talk a little bit more turf. I'm curious about the. Uh, uh, what was I thinking of? Man, I just lost my train of thought. Okay, so we talked about. Uh, ooh, ooh, that was the thing was uh, insect issues. I'm curious about what the yes, you know, the, the gr- well the chinch bugs and also grubs and things like that. Like what. What goes on up there? Because short season, like that, totally changes, you know, some of the the paradigm shift that you get with these things. So let's hear it. Yeah. So uh, up up here, say up here. When I say up here, I mean Rooster County, or the the northern half of my zone. And when I say down down there, you know, the southern part, I talking about Bangor area. Just if you're wondering. Uh, so up here, past I don't know three four years, uh, grub population has exploded. Uh, there's a couple, two, three towns that, I mean, you could just drive down any, any street, you know, in, in town, if you will, and smoked, just smoked grubs. And, um, I mean, I didn't go and identify everyone, but I would say predominantly European chafer, um, which I guess makes sense, you know, longer season on either end. Um, and I mean, you know, people always knew that, oh, you know, the grubs and some people, they wouldn't even call it grubs. Oh, the, the skunks are digging. I got skunks in my lawn, you know, and even after you explain the whole thing to them, yeah, but can you come spray for the skunks? People would literally call me, hey, can you come spray for the skunks? No, no shit. And, and three, four years later, I've been doing grub control at these places, whatever. Hey, right, make sure you don't forget me to come spray for the skunks this year. Okay. All right. I'll be there. <laughs> so... You know, people were always kind of like, yeah, they knew that, you know, something made the skunks dig their lawn or, yeah, we had grubs and, you know, whatever. But it was never to the point of, hey, we really need to do something every year about it. And now, because of kind of the, the market share I have up here and the issues I've been having, I'm trying as hard as I can to, you know, everyone that comes on board, you're getting grub control preventative, whether you like it or not. It, it's happening. And it's slowly kind of catching on after I show people a few pictures of, you know, few of these streets is you know next town over just smoked so grubs are i mean i'd say they're they're definitely an issue uh as, as bad as anywhere else that i've seen you know in new england anyway uh and then chinch bugs past couple of years you know i'd say that they're almost as bad if not worse than than the grub issues we have um which is odd but you know we do have you know some towns with i guess sandier soil uh you know full sun whatever but also all these, you know, 
big patches of bent grass and I see big patches in a four acre lawn, you can have pretty big patches, uh, you know, bent grass, fine fescue, all that junk out in the sun, super thatchy. Combine that with a couple of years of, you know, pretty hot weather, a lot of rain and change bugs just thriving. And, you know, people are like, Oh, where is this coming from? Whatever. And it's like, well, you know, you've always kind of had these issues, but you know, the weather and other reasons past couple of years, now they're becoming visible and this is what happens when they become visible is chinch bugs happen. And, you know, I could dig through some pictures, but this summer, I mean, we go out for round two or, you know, whatever we were doing and, you know, we're like, all right, well, we're coming back tomorrow because we got the whole street signed up to control the chinch bugs, you know, and it's never been that bad before. Um, past couple of years really been banner years, um, you know, grubs. Yeah pretty bad but chinch bugs kind of come out of nowhere like they're getting that bad really quick what exactly are you using from a control standpoint for your preventative applications and then once you start to see chinch bugs so grubs i've been on the cellophane train for shit almost since i started um for the most part and then you know you run into the the late bloomers uh you know aloft um, you know, getting that out there kind of in that transition period of, you know, well, it's too late for a celeprin. We're not really a curative yet, but, you know, whatever, we're in the middle. And then, you know, we get to the curative standpoint. I really not a big Dialogs fan because uh, you don't get anything on the back end. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of that's expensive, but try and combine it with a chinch bug app, you know, say, oh, you have both these issues or you will. So, you know, you're billing for two apps and you know, a loft makes a little more sense at that point. Um, and then chinch bugs, like in general, if it's just, you know, you're on the regular rotation, a few places here and there in the lawn, we've been doing kind of roll your own electus, uh, you know, full rate by Fenthrin, full rate of, you know, whatever generic imidacloprid, um, you know, kind of hoping the imidacloprid will come in on the back end. Um, and that's, it seems to work okay. I mean, it's pretty cheap. And, uh, I mean, yeah, it's not clothianidin, but it's also a lot cheaper, uh, and it, it seems oh, yeah. to do pretty well. Um, but you know, I don't know how much you followed it, but we are losing, uh, kind of the four main neonics for residential use only in Maine, probably by some point later this year, I'm guessing, uh, that's the latest wisdom in Augusta. Uh, so metacloprid is going to be, you know, no go, uh, clothianidin is going to be no go. So for chinch, we're pretty much going to have, you know, the pyrethroids, uh, I mean, and whatever little suppression a celebrant is going to give us, which is nothing. Um, and then, I don't know, we're going to be kind of screwed. Okay. okay, here's my perspective on chinch. Uh, my big fear with chinch is resistance to pyrethroids. And therefore, if I get called out for chinch bug, my go-to is actually Dilox plus Clocianidin. That's kind of my go-to. Now, have you ever looked at this uh, newer anthranilic diamide called Tetrino. Yeah, so that's kind of been on my radar. As soon as, you know, I think it was this past 
March or whatever, where the the Neo Nick bill kind of you know came through, and we were fighting it and fighting it and testifying every week, whatever, and going through the motions. And I saw that shit was coming down the pike. I'm like, all right, got to start looking. And uh, I saw mm. that Trino was coming up. I talked to the the bear, yeah, the bear rep, <clears throat> and you know, of course, not registered in Maine yet, or it wasn't at the time. Um, I, I'm thinking it, it. I'm gonna have to at least give it a try. Uh, I'm hoping that it's, you know, one of those in that class that's going to be better uh, on, you know, surface feeders or, you know, kind of differentiated from Celebrin. It seems like Tetrino was, I guess, built more for lawn use, whereas I got to tell you what Acelaprin or chlorantranilipril was intended for. Chlorantranilipril was actually intended for protecting field crops and vegetables from seed and root feeding caterpillars. That's what its original use was. Whereas I think Tetrino, for whatever reason, Bear made this so that it's a lot more versatile when used in a lawn or a turf type application and it's related to how quickly it works and the overall solubility and mobility of the product because I'm, I'm cu- a celeprin is kind of a slow moving product unless of course you apply that as a full contact spray to like actual caterpillars like say army worm then it's a fast product but for other things it's slow it's not fast well what i'm hoping and maybe this is asking too much is you know that tetrino would kind of fill that gap and you know maybe not be you know a loft or arena you know whatever um you know but kind of be somewhat close you know do do pretty good on surface feeders and also kind of give you that in between like okay you missed the acelebrin window uh, but we can kind of you know go in with the trino uh, instead of having to wait for the dialogues window because that's and i've talked to the director of the board of pesticides at length about this she agrees you know it's kind of like all right so example you, you miss the acelebrin window preventatively so then what do you tell someone right, well our options are done so, you know, we'll wait till you get grubs and then we'll see if we get lucky with dialogues. And it's like, yep, well, pretty much what you got. So I'm hoping that Detrino will kind of bridge that gap. Uh, I guess it'll kind, of fill, it'll kind of, no, it'll kind of fill it in. How, however, I can also tell you that my big, how shall I say, uh, emergency locked in the glass case to be broken with the fire axe product is literally Dilox 420SL. And I see the Dilox 420SL because there's a huge difference in how well Dilox works when it is sprayed versus when it's thrown out as a granule. There's oh a huge difference. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, listen. I rail against granular <laughs> fungicides, but if I saw somebody spreading granular dialogs, I <laughs> I might have a Matt Le, a Matt Martin level meltdown. 
I mean, <laughs> you don't have to worry Matt, about it because the, the, the granular dialogues will have his own internal meltdown from breathing this shit all day. Listen, <laughs> I have spread more bags of dialogues than I care to admit. And at the end of the day, I literally feel like my insides have been liquefied. Maybe that's just me, but I feel well, terrible. Yeah, I mean, dialogue. Yeah, and and you know why you feel terrible? Because I'm because dying. uh, yeah, Matt, uh, <laughs> trichloroflon decreased your license. <laughs> Never mind. Is one of the active ingredients where I would not want to be inhaling a dust of it. And okay, I'm going to show my age, and I still remember when beer used to market boxes of Dialox 80% soluble powder. And oh, man. that was an in, and that was an interesting product to deal with because immediately on the label, skull and crossbones may be <laughs> fatal if inhaled. Yeah, that's the one okay. I mean, like for that and Matt, that Ray, that is when like the odometer of your life is spinning way faster than it should be. Like, you know, it's not clicking up tenths of a mile. It's like the the third digit from the right is just click, 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 click. Oh, look, yeah, you just of put, course you put a thousand miles on your body spraying uh, fifty yards a day. Good job. Yeah, thanks. Of course, uh, for me, because I, I knew and I understood, uh, I didn't screw around and find out. I didn't screw around and find out. I mean, uh, so there, back back to my, trigger, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the that was one I think the Katrina thing could work. Out. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, at the expense of others, right? Hey, whatever. Hey, listen. Back in those days, whatever got you a thousand dollars and got you, got you sent home. Hey, all's <laughs> fair, right? You got all's fair in love and, and commodity lawn care. That's what I say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I think the Tetrina, th the, yeah, excuse me, the Tetrina thing can definitely work. You know, there even even a Celeprin late, like it doesn't get enough pub. I mean, there's some good work out of Oklahoma State. You know, even in a much warmer climate, that where uh, they've had 92 or three percent control, even applying as late as mid July. And right? and I'll so, say this, I, I'll say this. I have applied uh, a Celeprin late, late, like real late later than i should like i'm at a yard that clearly has the beginnings of grub pressure and um the only thing i have on my truck is a bag of a celebrant and i put it down and watered the hell out of it and got pretty damn good control and yeah. i'm not going to mm -hmm. advertise that as like everybody needs to go do that as a rescue app or whatever but Anecdotally, in the handful of times I've had to do that, it has been successful for me. I just want to make that Matt, clear. Matt, the reason why it worked for you is because all of these at all of these manufacturers, you know what they have to presume? They have to presume that their product is going to get blasted out of a fertilizer spreader and it ain't going to get watered in until the next time it rains. Yeah. Versus if the product is being stewarded correctly and as soon as it's been applied, it gets that one half to one inch of water without any runoff occurring 
to get that stuff in the soil where it actually belongs. Yeah, so, that's, that's the other tricky part too in, you know, in this case, right? Because no, none of these lawns have mm-hmm, irrigation. Mm-hmm. Who knows what the weather's like at that time? I mean, eh, not a great setup for sure. I mean, I am not, I'm not too concerned, Ray, about the whole um, resistance things, the parathroids, just because, you know, with the mass shafers, like we're, or, or excuse me, with the chinch bugs, right, the hairy chinch bugs, we're we're only talking two generations, you know, as opposed to like up to like year. five or six, five or six on southern, you know, chinch bugs. So it makes it a little bit more eight. approachable. Eight. Eight. Eight, eight, eight or, if you're in Hawaii. Eight <laughs> if you're in Hawaii or southern Florida. Yeah. Yeah, eighty four in Hawaii or Southern Florida. So, but no, the acellaprin. You know, I mean, all, you know, my cutoff has kind of been like mid June. You know, the northeastern Genna rep was you know granular. Anything on on granules, you know, try to be mid June. If you're doing it liquid, you know, July first. So, I mean, I kind of split split the gap. You know, whatever. Um, and I've never really been burned too bad. Uh, and you know. Obviously, the, the first reason that I kind of chose a celebrant was obviously, you know, putting it out in the spring, in theory, you're going to have more rain than not versus, you know, even the merit timeline, which is kind of, you know, you're playing with fire there in terms of asking for rain um, and not having any kind of irrigation. So, you know, that's kind of part of it, too. You know, at least if, if you're going to do something without having any irrigation, at least try to do it during a time of year where, in theory, you're going to have some rain. You know, it doesn't always happen, but... So, yeah, that's, that's always the good feeling is when you go out and spray, you know, 20, 30 acres of that stuff, and then it doesn't rain. You know, 90% chance of jack shit happening is when it's happening. So, <laughs> uh, we've, listen, we've all been there, right? I mean, I mean, I can, I, I can think back to my golf course days of a $5,000 fairway app, and, oh, it's not going to rain today, and what? fuck is going on right now and it's you know it's just right over top of the golf course it's raining it's washing all the stuff away it's it's terrible and that's the thing that like (laughs) you know and i get this and we all know it here but you know your customers don't get they don't care and it's like all the things that you need to go right to make that application actually work outside of just actually applying it and that's all they're looking at and that's how you're judged on your success well you put it down how come it didn't work ray (laughs) yeah Oh yeah, every day. Yeah. Well, dumbass. Well, dumbass. It didn't rain, and your irrigation's not working. See, I, I mean, think and I have teach actually a course in bedside manner. He really should. The green dot, bedside <laughs> manner with the green dot. <laughs> All right, listen. It could be terminal. It might not be. We don't know yet. Can you just sit there and be quiet? All right, while we figure this out. Okay. Let me go spray. Well, your, let me go spray well, your lawn. Well, or else, you know. You know who I connected with, Matt? Uh, who? Doctor House. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the TV Doctor show House. House. Yeah. Oh God. Except, okay. Oh, oh, well, that. One. Except <laughs> there, there are times when I'm thinking, Lordy, I mean, if only I could put some of my customers under general anesthesia while I attend to their lawn. I'm okay? just saying, I'm picturing Ray could... rolling up with some, some nitrous oxide. Here, can you breathe into mm-hmm. this? Right? <laughs> What's that? Uh, right now, I know, Matt, I'm going to drop a movie line on you, but Matt hasn't seen this. I think it's from uh, Hall Pass. Is, uh, 
you know, they're trying to pick up girls, and he walks up with a napkin and says, "Does it smell like chloroform?" and puts it towards her nose. Like, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I can see Ray doing that. So, no, uh, or else, okay. I just, I just, they show up with the with a preloaded syringe of fentanyl and Lord Edivan, <laughs> and it's like, here, down. Just to spice things up. I yeah. <laughs> now I might you know if if I was in that space Ray I'd violate some PPE laws for sure but I would just take my shirt off and everybody would would leave the area for that time you know, I, I would be okay <laughs> it's easy enough it's easy enough is there a gorilla in our front yard nope that's just the lawn boy sweetheart uh, anyway speaking of front yards I want to hear about uh, so th- this is always interesting is when uh, the turf guy does something to his or her lawn or when your yeah. girl does something to her lawn where you're you know you're doing extra because listen gentlemen in 20 whatever years of doing this uh i can think of about two that i really put the effort in you know to my lawn and every other year it's been i get home i look at it and i don't care about you you're my you're my adopted uh orphaned son or daughter Child. And i don't care about yeah. you. yep just just get away from me right now so i want to hear what do you have what are we working with now and where are we headed sell me so, on your lawn <laughs> so my my lawn right now is is non-existent um it's you know when i built started you know breaking ground here it was it had been i think uh, was it oats the year before so it wasn't potatoes it was oats uh, in this field, I got about nine acres total. This piece, um, so I had tried to seed it down um, with some kind of like you know pasture mix or whatever, uh, just to kind of have some long flowing grasses that I knew I wasn't going to mow for a while, and that kind of didn't work for shit. So it got a whole mess of I don't know wild mustard and all kinds of weird ag oh, type yeah. weeds, and then I was like, whatever. So we were building the house and, you know, doing groundwork and this and that. And then after another year or two, it uh, grew up all quack grass, 100% quack grass. Oh, God. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so fin- <laughs> finally. I'm not like, being sold yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sold either. So come around to a little bit before the wedding, like last, maybe this time last year. My, you know, soon to be wife is like, right, when are we going to have a lawn? You do everyone else's lawns. When are we going to have a lawn? And, you know, I kept telling her as well, Heard that. you know, can't, ha- yeah, can't happen overnight, you know, cause yeah. you know, like not going to half ass it. Uh, so you, you at least know me well enough to know that I'm not going to do that. So finally it was late this summer. I said, all right, I got to fucking put a plan in motion here. And, uh, so I picked, I've got a section as you kind of come up my driveway in front of the house. It's pretty decent square, just about an acre. And I said, all right, that's where we're going to start. And I said, that's going to be project enough. I'm not going to do more than an acre. And uh, so I said, well, I got to kill it off, you know, start killing it off in 100% quiet grass. So I uh, mowed it down, whatever, and uh, went out with, I think I was actually listening to one of the, the shows this summer and talking about uh, fuselade and, and glyphosate together. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, that sounds pretty good. And uh, so I was like, oh, 
I said, how am I, how am I going to do that? How am I going to get it out there? Cause it's, you know, it's an acre. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that with my flow zone and four nozzle boom. And I'm not into that. Um, and I'm like, well, it, really I'm weird about, you know, putting glyphosate through anything that's going to touch a lawn. Like, well, I'm not putting that through a machine. I know, I know. So I'm like, all right, how can I do this without buying another sprayer? Cause I really wanted to, but I'm like, I can't justify that. So I've got a, uh, you know, industrial veg tank, whatever. Sorry, well, I'll flush that out pretty good. And then I got a, a boomless nozzle for the back hitch of my one of my spray trucks. Yes. Ran it to the skid tank and uh, about 18 foot swath. I think it's uh, an Udor, whatever it was, you know, boomless nozzle. And uh, favorite. I had my dad get in the truck and I had the switch out the back and we just drive up and down across what will be the front lawn with the, the spray truck. I've actually got a picture of that somewhere. And, uh, you know, knocked it down. Did a pretty good kill, actually for uh, just one shot and uh so then in the spring I'm gonna hit that again two or three more times i'm hoping that'll be enough and uh you know we're talking about the irrigation there a while ago hopefully try and get that set up and then um actually i've got the soil test here take a peek at but it's the you know nutrient levels aren't that bad but it's go on the uh, nrcs and do like the soil survey tool and uh of course soil potato ground and uh it's a placed gravelly loam, so aka rocky as shit. And uh, so that's <laughs> kind of the big thing. You know, I, I don't want it to be that well drained. So that's kind of what I'm grappling with right now. You know, irrigation, yeah, whatever can do that. And then, you know, everything else, but kind of semi working with the soil I have. Uh, but, you know, not really wanting to work with just that. Um, so that's kind of the point I'm at right now is, you know, first kill is done you know, second, third kill, whatever, you know, through next spring, early summer. Uh, and then just kind of figuring out, you know, groundwork and, you know, what I'm going to add and feasibly be able to add as far as uh, material. Um, and I guess that's kind of, that's where I'm at right now. When, yeah. when oh. do you see? I was going to say, that was <laughs> the other question is like, when's the, when's the go zone? So, so, of course, you know, a textbook would be, you know, 1st September or whatever. I will tell you that that's not good up here. That's that's shit. Yeah, uh, no way. I've done that before and almost gotten burned just because, you know, it got cold uh, real quick. Um, you know, and then even backing that up to mid-August sometimes, like, mm, it's not that great. Um, honestly, some of the best seedings we've done have been, you know, mid-June through mid-July. Uh, and as long as you can, you know, have a reasonable amount of irrigation, get a little rain, um, you know, those have turned out really well. Uh, of course, you know, other people's lawns. Um, and I mean, you know, we're not doing this kind of bottom of the barrel. I mean, you know, all pretty high end shit, um, you know, and it's kind of a package, uh, you know, a wedding agent, uh, you know, all the insect stuff, um, you know, starter. Um, whatever, you know, rosen blankets, the whole nine yards. Uh, and then, you know, I've got a custom, uh, turf, turf type tall fescue and bluegrass mix. Um, you know, all uh, pretty much, I think it's all mountain view, uh, cultivars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it works pretty well. Um, got it kind of branded under like a separate, you know, Northern turf management. And then I've got Norgro custom turf products. Uh, so that's kind of my little seed seed line 
that I get blended. Uh, so, I mean, you know, we do it pretty much all summer, as long as we can get, you know, a reasonable amount of watering assistance from mother nature and or homeowner and, mm-hmm. um, had pretty good luck. So it's totally against the textbook. It really is. We totally, we, we need to get a direct mailer out map that says pretty good shit under the program, right? Like just right there. That's our seating. <laughs> that's our seating package. What are you using out there? Hundred percent. Pretty good shit. I think that would do well. Hang on, I'm going to pull up the uh, the 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 growth growth potential chart here just to show. What's going on with your lighting over there? Is there a rave? Is there a rave going on in your in your office there? Oh yeah, man! I got the little people back here having it. You can't hear the music. There ain't no bimodal growth pattern up in uh oh, no. in Van Buren, Maine. That's for certain. <laughs> Holy shit. This this looks like my Bermuda growth pattern here in Tennessee, right? Uh that's intense. This, this does not look like a cool season growth pattern. So yeah. <laughs> that's not a py- uh, that, so Jacob Jacob says that's a pyramid. That's not a pyramid. That's a church steeple growth pattern right there, boys. <laughs> that is <laughs> That is intense. I can see why those June uh, June seedings work out for sure. Yeah, Damn. no doubt yeah. about it. Uh, you know what? I, you know what I call, call this? You call me crazy, but this is called a short but action-packed uh, growing season. Yeah, it's a. I call it a short but action-packed growing season. And you know what the good part is? You don't hear about grass from, I want to say, from basically six months out of the year. You don't hear about grass at all. I mean, yep. I mean, mind you, uh, speaking of bedside manner, uh, yesterday, Ryan, Mm -hmm. I told someone, yet another person, your lawn got large patched. You overwatered it in the winter. It's dead. <laughs> and you it? didn't put down your preventative. And you didn't put down your preventative fungicide starting in September and October. So it's definitely dead. <laughs> there he is, right there, boys. He's here to tell you. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's six days, six months, or six years you have left to live. You're already dead. That's it. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look at these, look, look at these average temperatures. Now, this is an average between your daytime high and your your nighttime low, right? But still, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, this is, yeah, I, I, I mean, June, June, July time frame for see, I mean, really, yeah, June, July time frame for seeding is like perfect. So yes, yeah, so different compared to everywhere else, even just. 300 miles south of you, you know, is you, you, you're starting to get into a completely different growth pattern there. That is, that is pretty bonkers. So here's the thing though, is based on your reapplication interval with uh flazapop. And I can't recall what that is off the top of my head. I want to say it's like, is it 30 days? You can't reapply after an application of flazapop. Actually it is 30 days I'm sorry, between Seed Seeding, yeah, your last application of fluazafop has to be 30 days before seeding of especially a cool season grass because cool season grasses are especially sensitive to 
Flazifop residue in the soil. Uh, Bermuda doesn't care as much. So, you know, you're kind of at the, at the mercy there that if you start in May, you know, and say you're planning on seeding, uh, you know, we'll say June 15th or whatever, you know, May 1st, you get down one app and then, you know, maybe your last app, you just run straight glyphosate uh, to open up that, that seed window for you to let the flazapot work itself out. And then, you know, obviously your seed's safe with glyphosate. So, um, well, I guess it's going to kind of. It's going to depend on what I see, you know, right out of the gate in the spring. I mean, I, I'm sure. thinking a lot of that shit's going to be dead. I don't know. Maybe all of it will come back. Um, but, and it also may depend too is, you know, irrigation guy may not be able to get here, you know, until later in the summer. And if that's the case, you know, that's fine. I won't have to rush. I mean, I still got a decent amount of, you know, groundwork stuff to figure out. So, you know, if I can get all that lined up this year and, you know, get all the irrigation set up, figure it out and put it to bed come following spring you know be ready to roll right out the gate uh, i may do that you know i'd like to have it this year but it's not the end of the world you know i'd rather get all my ducks in a row um so i mean that may happen too um you know my my next thought you know as far as groundwork and adding stuff in my thought was you know to get a trailer loaded two of you know there's tons of you know ag compost type stuff up here uh you know just to, to kind of change the profile a little bit and i don't even know if that's a good idea but i figure i should try and do something uh instead of just placed gravelly loam being you know what i try to grow my primo lawn in um you know beyond that i think we're talking you know pretty significant amount of work uh that i think i could get and do pretty easy um but that's kind of where my thought was on that it wouldn't hurt anything. My only concern would be, uh, I, and I'm again, I'm looking at your average weather here. It looks like July is your wettest month of the year. Has that been different over recently or would you say that's still typically the case? Mm, uh, Um, not last year, the year before, definitely not. We got, you know, well, I guess whatever you pick for the, you know, growing season, we probably got shit. 80% 80% of our rain first week of October, last week of September or whatever. Uh, cool. This past year, yeah, <laughs> shit show. Uh, this past year, yeah, maybe a little more towards average. Um, but, yeah, I don't know about July. Maybe. I guess I'd have to really look at it, but it seems the past couple of Julys have been shitty. So the, the only thing is is that if you, if you go down with a bunch of compost, right, and say with your seed in June and then you have a really wet July, that's going to be a difficult, you know, it'll be a difficult thing. I would almost say you'd be better off without irrigation at that standpoint. You know, go ahead, get it installed or whatever, you know, but, but limit, limit your use of it because, you know, the compost is going to increase your, your water holding capacity fairly significantly, uh, or at least your, your rate of uh, evaporation. So. But I, I, I mean, shit, I've used, I can't tell you how many damn trailer loads of compost over the years. And, you know, it's always <laughs> oh, we gotta work, get some to bu- my, work to my advantage more than it has worked to my disadvantage. Although I have killed a lawn top dressing with compost, you know, and that's, that's no lie. Um, you got to be careful with the, uh, with the salt content of some of that mushroom compost. Well, I'm just thinking, hand, you know, if I can whatever I can get in there, uh, you know, pre-plant and, you know, till it in, plow it in, whatever, uh, just to kind of, you know, and I don't know, I'm just guessing here, you know, 
long term get something that'll hold moisture a little bit more than that gravelly loam and maybe it's not going to do that and maybe i'm grasping at straws uh trying to put a band-aid on it but that was my thought you know get, get it worked in there uh so then you know over time it's there and kind of amend that soil somewhat it will for a year or two um and then and so but by that point oh. you've, you've probably got enough established grass that it's not really of a concern at that point either Okay. Okay. No. Ray, Ray's going to have an aneurysm now. Yes, I, I am going to have an aneurysm because here's my thought <laughs> on adding organic matter to soil. Nine times out of ten, I say don't. What I do say is simply grow grass on that soil because. Grass will grow on just about any kind of gravelly, sandy, rocky stuff there's out there, provided you have some nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium to foster and promote the grass growth. Grass does not need high organic matter content. In fact, if anything, contrary to the trailers full of compost, I often need an empty trailer and a bulldozer to remediate the conditions that I see. <laughs> and Ryan's laughing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I will say it's it's a tightrope to walk, and, and it really does depend on the quality of it and where it's coming from, and 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 all that kind of stuff. So you know, do your homework there. Other thing. Uh, I believe this is a biosolid compost. There's a, a new paper out, and I just had to go look it up. It just came out like a couple months ago. A Soldat paper, Matt. Hey, yo. You'll enjoy that. Uh, where is this? This wow. is. Let's see if I can send it to JPink. The effect of compo- top dressing of compost, compost tea, and various fertilizers on soil and lawn characteristics. So, what they were trying to do is figure out mainly uh, do you need to put down compost until it in pre-plant and and realize the benefits or can you go over top of an existing lawn that is shitty and that you want to improve right so they looked at that there's also another one here i found from a couple of years ago is researching this topic a little bit here this last week and there's another one from uh where is that university of maryland where they looked at something similar but they were looking at incorporating it with like airification and some other means and found that to be kind of ineffective so Bottom line is, if you put it down now, like just don't go overboard. And then if you are going to, like what Matt was saying, like, you know, if you want to realize the benefits of it, maybe every other year, if you can, is just, you know, top dress a little bit more on there and continue to try and uh, improve the soil there. So all in all, I mean, I'll be anxious to watch this because that that rocky loam is sort of a mystery to me of just how that's going to, how it's going to go. Never, never had to grow grass in that, but I know in, you know, New England and points north up towards you. That's all. It's kind of the the standard. It's the norm. Here we'll we'll throw up this chart here because I think this is you know you see pretty much, ev- pretty close to even across the board between Scott's Turf Builder, which is just be a straight fertilizer, and a lot of these products. Right. So, um, and now this is only just one segment of this study. There's there's a lot a lot more to it. Right. But 
you know, case in point, you can go about it either way and you'll end up likely at the same point. It's and when it comes to ease of establishment, you know, you're adding another variable here that was not in, in, uh, at least in this chart that we're looking at right here, this is just turf quality, right? So, you know, is it, are you, are you going to facilitate more even germination potentially? I don't know. You know, it, again, it comes down to, you know, your, your irrigation coverage. If you don't have exactly head to head irrigation coverage, uh, and you get a couple of decent rains, you haven't finished installing the irrigation system, you get a couple of decent rains, you got compost down, it all comes up nice and even and pretty and stuff. So it's not to say that it's something you have to do. Uh, it's something that could potentially make your life easier. But in the same instance, too, if you have an excessively wet season, it could make your life a living hell, too. So it's one of those, it's, it's a gamble, right? And, you know, you're, you're hedging your bets um, on, you know, how it ends up playing out. Now, Again, in my experience, nine times out of 10, it worked out in my favor, but there was, you know, going back to sourcing compost, I had gotten a fresh load of, uh, of uh, mushroom compost from uh, Monterey Mushroom, top dressed the lawn with it when it was still relatively warm outside. I had no idea the sodium content in this, and it was actual sodium. Sodium content mm-hmm. was extremely high in it. And, uh, and I mean, it, it, it literally smoked the entirety of the lawn to the ground, dead grass was gone uh, in about two weeks, gone. And that was oh, one shit. hell of a phone call to get was to hear that uh, the grass is gone. And you're like, no, no, it's just, it's got a little compost on it. And I'm talking like a quarter inch of compost went down and it killed everything. And so you go back out there and you're trying to figure out at that point what went wrong. Right. And they're like, well, <laughs> you know, you're a lawn guy, right? So what do you say? Well, let's get some water on it. We're gonna we're gonna get a little water on it, okay? And and you know they're like, all right. Well, you set my irrigation controller up. You go and you turn that thing up. And you're like, you're gonna run fucking forty five minutes every damn day until something happens. <laughs> I don't know, you know. And and leach then, out know, the sodium. Of, yeah, yeah. And, at, yeah, and I had no idea it was sodium, so I'm just playing guessing games at this point. And so I did. I just flooded the hell out of it, water and seeded the thing, and it, it came in beautifully at that point. And then that at least bought me time to figure out what the hell, you know, was going on. And then, you know, we did a compost analysis and saw it was off the charts on, on sodium. And, you know, it was like, wow, what are the chances? Who knew? Um, so, you know, one of those things. Very easy. Not to say that it's, uh, you know, going to happen, but at least something to be cognizant of. And wherever you do get your compost, see if they do have a lab analysis on it. A lot of those places now keep those with every batch they produce. So. Matt, I'm going to go one further in that before I ever bring in that kind of material, I will run my own analysis and sent to the lab of my choice because I have been effed over by bogus analysis reports regarding material. That happens. I mean, they, no, I, I've had it happen to where, hey, why are the ornamentals mad about something, turning yellow, dropping leaves, what is up? And then I get the third-party analysis that I, I, I run on the, uh, on the material, and, oh, total dissolved salts are high, magnesium's excessive, sodium's excessive, and... Uh, pH of this material is 7.5. Could that possibly be a problem, Matt? 
can't you know? be. <laughs> not to not to just shit all over the idea of using compost. You know, I think it's just you know trying to provide you know both potential outcomes there, and just understand that you know it's not always an automatic thing. Now, as you do, and you know, again, back to the whole lawn care philosophy, right? Of especially you know when you're you know running. You know, you run similar kind of lawn care that I ran, you know, where, you know, I'm out, you know, six, eight week interval kind of thing. And um, in that kind of scenario, you know, compost can be your friend when you're using it in effect like a slow release fertilizer, right? Where you, you're getting out there in the spring and, you know, you're, you're putting down a layer of compost. Or you're doing it in the fall, putting down a layer of compost and it buys you time before you need to get back out there to do anything else to it. Right. And I, I would say the, my internal verbiage for it was it would put the lawn on autopilot because I knew if I sold a top dressing job, I wouldn't have to fertilize the damn thing for, you know, the next <laughs> three months, you know, in some instances. And that was great because I go out there for a fertilizer application and it frees me up to do something else like just take care of weeds. And that becomes a very profitable application at that instance. Right. So, um, you know, it, sometimes it works out to your, to your advantage, but you know, one out of a handful of times you end up killing the yard and then, you know, all that profit you made just spraying weeds, all of a sudden you're, you're spending that money now on high quality seed to regrow the lawn again. So, <laughs> it, you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> let, all right. We are going to have to start winding this down, but I've got to ask you, do you have any specific Hell questions? Yeah. Off the top of my head. Mm. I'm sure I could think of some. Oh, well, okay. While we're on the subject, I guess I was thinking of doing straight blue just because that's what I wanted to do. Anything I should think about uh, in regards to that as, oh, you might screw yourself or, you know, these are specific cultivars you should look at or, you know, as long as you get, you know, higher end, doesn't really matter. Um, but that's what I was kind of thinking anyway, straight blue. Um. I don't have enough experience to say on this. Ryan DeMay will, and uh, when he comes back, he'll be able to answer that. So we may not be able to get to it until the after show, um, but he'll be your guy on that because I, that's that's outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I similarly uh, wouldn't know what to say about that other than if you do go 100% blue, I do have an analogy oh, for go. it in that you want to go 100% blue. Are you prepared to take care of that area similar to a sports field or a golf fairway? What Ray I wants say, to know is, that. are you ready to real mow it? <laughs> yes. You know, I thought about the real mowing thing. And I'm like, nah, there's no fucking way that I'd be able to do it. Because I'm like, I'm the king of extra and top top end, this, that, and the other. But I'm like, all right, I, I got to be real here. Like, I'm barely going to have time to mow this, you know, with whatever Zeratorin I'm going to get. Uh, it just ain't going to fucking happen. Uh, but as far as all the other shit, yeah, yep. I can. So, you know what? In that case, I'm going to probably say... Not really, because based on what other people have told me about 100% Kentucky bluegrass, here's how it works. If, in fact, you're running a monostand of K Kentucky bluegrass 
Andrew mowing it low. Then that becomes a beautiful grass that requires less of the other inputs. Because does everybody understand why turf type tall fescue became the predominant turf grass for cool season areas? Because it could be cut tall. Because it could be cut tall. Exactly. And the reason why it could be cut tall is because at that level of maintenance and at that height of cut, Kentucky bluegrass monostands have a special problem. They then become particularly disease prone. So you can mow it high, but the corollary of that is you trade off not having to mow it low with needing to always be on disease watch. And I go, I go through that similar calculus in my area too. You can keep turf grasses not at real height in my area. However, expect to lose the lawn to disease in wet or humid weather. Just expect it. Well, and, you know, kind of the nice thing with Patrick here is that he doesn't really have a whole lot of disease pressure either. So, you know, that kind of, that that opens up another vein of in your favor, I guess. You can do it. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, you, you Yeah, you can do it, but that low disease pressure also comes from the fact that he's often dealing with various mixes of what I call legacy grasses that have been adapted to the climate over the decades. Mm -hmm. Versus if you bring in some kind of premium, you know, high-end variety that's actually intended for a sports field uh, golf course or else, uh, dare I say it, a YouTube lawn person's lawn who's really committed to putting in the amount of care that it needs versus basically throwing it out into the wilds of Maine (laughs) under what I consider minimal maintenance scenarios, okay? Minimum maintenance scenarios. I mean, because I always try to match grasses to the level of maintenance that they're actually going to get. (laughs) And because when there's a, when there's a mismatch, uh, sometimes it works out. Okay. But more often than not, nobody's happy. Really? Nobody's happy. That's why I have a common Bermuda and I I personally enjoy it. All right, let's move this party to the show after the show, unless you have anything else you'd like to add. Uh, Where can people learn more about you, Patrick? Please tell the world. Uh, So northernturfmanagement.com. And then uh, I'm on Facebook too at Facebook 
backslash Northern Turf Management. So pretty much Northern Turf Management. And if you get to the one that's in like Fargo, North Dakota, it's not the right one. When you get to the one that says Sear Plantation, Maine, you've hit the jackpot. That's where you want to be. So you heard it right there. Not the one, even though we love our buddy in uh, in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, well, he, I don't think he's actually in Fargo, but uh, uh, we do have uh, Evan up there, who's a great, great friend of the show. Check him out. Northern Turf Management. This has been Patrick Valencourt. We are headed to the show after the show. If you were wondering about that, this is where adults have adult time. And uh, I'm not going to lie. It's going to get a little rowdy. Uh, DeMay has warned me that this particular show is going to be absolute insanity. So um, if you're interested in that kind of thing, then either become a, uh, uh, and listen, it gets so rowdy. That's the reason why we have to put this behind a paywall. So you either have to join the channel and that'll be right there next to the subscribe <laughs> button. You'll see where it says join, or you can head over to patreon.com forward slash burn and return and uh, become a member there. So for the cost of an airport beer, you get to spend eh, a little, a lot. Actually, it's a, it's a lot of additional content that we put out and you get access to uh, if you're not into that kind of thing, if you're not into bad words, if you're not into the kind of humor we have, because I warn you, <laughs> I've said it before, I'll say it again, the turf grass industry is kind of like a fraternity. And uh, and so we talk a little rough, we, we're a little bit crazy, uh, we drink a lot of cold beer, and uh, and it's just, it's it's not for the faint of heart. If that does not appeal to you, by all means, don't waste your money and uh, no harm no foul you know this is this is just the thing we like to do because it's fun for us all right everybody y'all have a fantastic evening we'll see the members shortly